Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Uh, have you all ever been all in on something? 100% devoted. Uh, when you think about that thing, you think that is what it means to be all in, to be 100% committed. I, I told the guys at Man Day a couple weeks ago that men have gotten a bad rap when it comes to commitment. Uh, it feels like a lot of us, people say, well, guys, they aren't committed to anything. And really, you know who that is? That's, that's somebody that you were supposed to, like, maybe ask to marry you or whatever. They have that opinion that maybe when it comes to relationships, maybe you're not that committed. But I just told the guys, I said, men are very committed. We're some of the most committed in the world. It's just what they commit to, right? And so then I started going through a list of things, and I'll go through those with you. Think about your favorite sports team. How many of you are committed to a favorite sports team? And you think about that, you can't miss a game. You are very focused on that team. What If you're not into uh, football or baseball, how about a NASCAR driver? If you were to name that favorite NASCAR driver, who would that be? And if it's not a sports team, what about a hobby? For some of you, it might be working on cars, and you spend time and energy doing that. For some of the rest of you, it might be maybe you're into cooking. Maybe you're really uh, an excellent cook. I told the guys at Manday, some of you guys are maybe into crocheting. I don't know. I mean, you know, to each their own, and, and maybe, that, maybe that's you. But what is it? Maybe for some of you, it's a goal. Maybe you wanted to lose 20 pounds by summer, or you wanted to get a degree. What are you all in on? I want you to think about that right now for you. What is the thing that when you think about it, that's the thing that I've been very committed to over the last period of time? Was it a goal? Was it a hobby? Was it a career? Was it a relationship? Or was it a sports team? What was it? And then I want, what I want you to do is just turn to your neighbor real quick and just tell them what that thing is. What was the thing that you were very committed to, 100% all in? Go ahead and share that with them right now. Now, what does all in look like? Number one, you spend time doing it. Uh, you improve your skills. You work on it. Uh, you spend time, attention, and money on it. Other things are sacrificed, and you celebrate it. I mean, you're, you're, you're into fishing. You catch that big fish, and you post a photo. You're working on a car. You put it in a stove. You make an Afghan, and you get warm under it. I don't know, but whatever your goal is, whatever that thing was, okay? Now, I want you to take all that emotion, all that feeling of what it meant to be committed, and I want to ask you, what does it look like to be all in when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it look like? Put yourself there for a second. Paint a picture in your mind about what it means to be all in. If we were in a classroom setting, I might ask you, I might take a whiteboard and just ask you to give your answers. What would it be to be all in with Jesus? And some of you might say, well, I don't know, um, attending church, or they say, well, that's maybe part of it, or maybe it means making disciples. You make disciples, and you say, that's part of it. It might mean uh, praying with my family. You might give a lot of different things, but then I would probe you deeper, and I would say, let's go deeper into that. What does it really mean to be all in in your relationship with Jesus Christ? What does that mean? And what I would do is reflect on the words of Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said what? Love the Lord your God with what? All, all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. No exceptions, no exclusions. God, your creator and the sustainer of your very life, wants everything. But can he find it? Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
So God is searching the world to see, is there anybody that's committed? He's looking. He searches the earth. Jesus is looking. How serious is he about this? If you want to know, look at the words from Revelation 3. This is the message paraphrase, but look at this. He said, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold, you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale, you're stagnant. You made me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich, I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that in fact, you're pitiful, blind, beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Now, those are powerful words, but that's a serious rebuke from Jesus who who said that about a church in the first century. And my question is, what would, that, what would Jesus say about me? I wonder what he would say about you. I wonder what he would say about Axis Church. Here's what he would say. Matthew 15, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, friends, that sounds like all in, doesn't it? I mean, that verse reminds us something very amazing about the heart of God. For everyone that feels like they're giving something up for the Lord, for everyone who feels like they're making sacrifices, for everyone who feels like they've given up time or energy or talent or treasure, Jesus is saying, you seek all that stuff in the world and you will lose it. But when you give it for me, you will find true life. He said it this way in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Now, friends, this is the heart of God, that all of us would be all in for him. Our time, our talent, our treasure, our heart, our soul, our mind. And it's probing when you think about it to say, God, where are the areas in my life that maybe I'm more committed to that sports team or to that activity or to that goal that I set or to that relationship and so God what is it about me what is it God that that I really need to work on now one of the things that I find interesting in the scripture is that there's absolutely no doubt that one of the places that God tests our trust in him the most is in the area of generosity that's why there's over 2,000 times in the Bible where money or possessions are talked about God somehow knew that when it came to money there would be both a trap and a test and a trust. There would be a trap when it comes to finances. So much of our lives are focused on getting. If you think about your life, so much of our energy is focused on earning or buying or investing or paying. Think about that, honestly. So much of our lives revolve around it. But the Bible makes it clear. Money can be a blessing, but it can also be a trap. And we're going to talk about that today. What are some of those traps? But it's also a test. The only time God says, test me, is found in Malachi 3, where he says, give back to me. Trust me with the first 10% of your earnings and see if I'll not open the floodgates of heaven. Test me in this, he says. And that really reminds me that it's also a trust. It's one of those few areas of our life that we're trusting God every single time. And how we handle our time and our talents and our treasure really is a matter of trust. Do we trust that God will return back to us? Do we trust the word of God? Do we prom trust the promises of God? Do I believe that God is going to be faithful? So that's why over the next four weeks, we're going to be spending some time on stewardship. And we're going to be doing this teaching series called All In. And I used I in words. All in. Invite God into your decisions. That'll be today. Next week, entrust your future to the faithful God. And by the way, those of you who are uh, 
grammarians, you'll be like scandalized by this because you'll say that's an E-N, not an I-N, right? Look it up. I look it up in Webster. It says it's the old English version of the word. You look it up. It's in there. Entrust. Third, inspire others by your generosity. And finally, inherit true life now and forever. And today I want to challenge you to go all in and invite God into your decisions. Invite him into your day-to-day. Invite him into your financial planning. When we first started Access Church, somebody told me, Stephen, you should never talk about money in a new church. You don't want to turn people off. And I knew that was bad advice. So in the very beginning, we set November as our annual time to look into the Bible and, and to see this important topic and to make commitments. And I'm really glad that I didn't follow that advice because how can we be faithful to God's word if we neglect God's teaching? Because How can we teach people the right way without saying things about it? And I also know that it was bad advice because we grow in, in different stages of our faith. And when we take steps of faith, in my experience, what that does is it increases our faith. And it's been during months of stewardship that a lot of that's happened for us. We've, we've seen people take steps of faith, and God has been faithful, and strongholds have been broken, and priorities have been shifted. And also, I think it's important sometimes just to come together every once in a while and just say, how are we doing as a church family in regards to this? And so in light of that, before I get into the message today, I wanted to update you where we are in terms of our church financially, and that'll help you kind of understand kind of what's happened over the last few months. Actually, it's really been very amazing, at least through July. Um, You know, the COVID started somewhere in February, but especially in March, where we started to have to move offline and things like that. And so many uh, churches were concerned about what was going to happen. And you know, so all, everything we do is dependent upon generosity. And, and so in March, we uh, continued to, I called some people, said, hey, this I think is going to happen. And um, so could you give an advance or what have you? Or in, in some cases, could you give additional? And, and then not only that, but we were able to apply for the PPP loan uh, and from, from the federal government. We received that. It was $53,000. And that was going to be tremendously helpful during that time. It was interesting, if you look at our giving, and and I have a chart here, but if you look at our weekly need, this is Access Church in both locations, $11,346 for both locations uh, all together. I asked our staff early on during this, I said, everybody needs to hold back because we don't know where this is going to go, and we have a lot of fixed expenses, so let's all just be very, very careful during this so our actual expenditures were not uh, equal to that $11,000. But as you look back at the months before in March, our average weekly offering by month was 12316 in March. That was tremendous. Some people had given additional gifts. April, 9680. May, 9251. June, 8137. July, it came back strong, 11961. And at the end of July, we actually still had basically the PPP money in uh, the bank being held. And uh, we had kind of broken even through July, which was really amazing. We went five months uh, during COVID. But you can notice August, 7,200 a week, September, 8,100 a week, and then October, 6,500 a week. And so I got a call from Andrew this week, our treasurer. He said, well, as of right now, we just paid our payroll. We haven't paid rent yet. We have $360 in the bank. I said, oh, hallelujah, amen. I was like, well, you know what? We've been here before. God's faithful. And, and I think this is a very timely thing. We had already planned on doing a stewardship tree. Now, I say that not to worry everybody, 
Uh, I do say it, though, to say that as a church family, we need to be aware um, of, of where we are. And uh, we have been here before uh, so many times in the life of a new church. You get to the end of the month and you go, well, you know, I don't know sure how we're going to do it. But God is faithful and God has always been faithful. I've, I've told you the story before. One of my favorite Axis Church stories is, uh, is, is about Josh's grandfather. And, and this was during a period of time where it was in the middle of the summer. And summer is always hard for churches. And, and uh, as people go on vacation, kind of out of sight, out of mind sometimes. And, and, uh, and so we were there, and we were just, I was just praying, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. And, and so Josh's grandfather had this big jar, this huge five-gallon jar of coins. He had put stuff in there over a long period of time. And, and he, said, uh, he said, now, Josh, uh, I'm, I'm going to give that jar to your church, and, I, and I, I want you to know that. And so Josh was like, okay. And it was so heavy, we had to get one of those nursing home crane mechanisms to help us to, like, even lift it out. Who knew? And we started pouring that thing out, and, and uh, he had just taken things out of his pocket. So there were buttons in there, and there were uh, paper clips and all kinds of things. And, and uh, we poured that thing out, and I told, it was about this far from the top, and I told our church, listen, guys, uh, Grant, jo- Josh's grandfather wanted to give this and, and, uh, upon his passing, and, and uh, let's fill that thing up. And we did. And Josh and I took it down to a local bank, and we poured that, that money in there. And I think it was something like $1,200 or something like that. And, uh, and But I, I've often said that $1,200 plus what the church gave got us through July and August of 2012. And, and I could just tell you story after story of times where God has showed up. And so I share this with you, not in a way to worry everybody, but in a way to say, hey, church family, uh, this, is, this is important. It's an important time in the life of our church. And uh, if you have been waiting to give, now is a good time to do that. Guys, our God is amazing. He always provides. That was a very long introduction to a message, but we're going to get into the Word of God in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I I want you to open up the Bible today, open up your uh, phone, look on the side screens. And as we do this, I want to pray for our church family and also for us as we continue to, 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 uh, to learn about what God has in store for us. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for uh, just continuing to lead us and guide us. God, we thank you so much for uh, the ability to uh, serve you. And God, we pray and we thank you for uh, just your word and as it teaches us and guides us. God, I pray that today we would learn about the traps that happen financially. And and then God, what are the biblical antidotes to those things? What are the things that you have in store for us that would help in this process. God, we just love you, we thank you, and we just give you thanks for Christ, and we pray in your name. Amen. I, I, I want to add one other thing that I actually uh, need to mention back there, too. We do have one, uh, we have two other accounts, or three other accounts at Axis. One is $7,000 in a mission account that people had collected money for El Salvador to go, and they weren't able to go yet, so that money is held. And then we have our building fund, it matters, and some of you have wondered about that. And that is still there. We're holding on to that. Of course, that was designated funds for that building in Middletown. And then also then we have a scholarship fund where my sister passed away to give worship ministry students. Uh, That other fund is our general fund. That's how we pay our bills. So I just wanted to give you an update on that. Let's talk about the trap of more. 
You know, I think it's probably safe to say that we live in the most materialistic society that has ever existed. There's always been greed, but never before like this. Uh, our, one sociologist concluded that in 1900, the average American wanted 72 different things, and they considered 18 of them essential. Today, the average person wants 500 different things, and they consider 100 of them essential necessities. First Timothy reflects on this. Look at the scripture. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Did you guys see the article of the uh, woman that insisted that her Cadillac be buried with her? Her final request to her husband was that he bear, bury her old car with her. It was a 1976 Cadillac with 42,000 actual miles. It was in mint condition. So he purchased 14 burial plots to accommodate her final request. The vault for the car was 27 feet by 12 feet by 6 foot deep. The pictures showed the, the crane lowering the car into this huge vault, and the caption read, she did take it with her. Now, we know that's silly because she's not driving that thing anywhere. What a waste. But it reminds me of the rich man who was dying, and he told his wife to take all his money and put it in a sack and hang it in the attic. He said, when I leave this body and go to heaven, I'm going to take it with me. He died. She rushed up to the attic to see if he had gotten it on his way up. Sure enough, the bag was still hanging there in the attic. And she said, oh, that idiot, I knew I should have put that in the basement. Amen. Now, you can't take it with you. You know that. I know that. You can't take it with you. But here's the antidote for more contentment. Learn to be content. One of the things that helps me when I get sucked into the, to the monster of more is if, if I stay in close contact with my friends in El Salvador, where 80% of the population is unemployed right now because of COVID, it helps me to, to reflect about how blessed we are. We have so much. And this is honestly an area where we could all stand to really fall on our knees in repentance before the Lord and realize how blessed we are. But we need to learn contentment. And I say learn because it is learned. It's not easy to be content, especially with the, the world pressing against us, but learning to be content is so important. The second trap is independence. And that's that false idea that we think that the whole reason we have anything of value is because we have earned it, we have made it, we have created it. Remember that classic movie, Shenandoah, with Jimmy Stewart, where he opens the film with a prayer at a Thanksgiving table? Maybe you could use this prayer in a few weeks. Lord, we plowed the field. We planted the field. We harvested the crop. We cooked it, and we put it on the table. It would not be here if it weren't for our hard work. But we thank you for it anyway. Amen. Now, we laugh, but that, that's one of those things we think, well, maybe it's kind of true. Maybe we agree with them. We've done this hard work. We resonate with the words of Deuteronomy 8, which says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. When you forget God's blessings, you fall into the trap of independence. And I think the antidote to independence is just consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. Look at 1 Timothy 6 again, verse 9. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
griefs, ruin, destruction. We want to get rich. We love money. We run toward it. But the pursuit of all of that leads to ruin and destruction and even poverty. The trap of independence is a trap. There is also the trap of uncertainty. We've all learned something about uncertainty in 2020, haven't we? I mean, boy, the world is just different. It seems like everything that can go wrong has gone wrong in 2020. Who knew that on January 1st, with all the hope and all the promise of a new decade, that we would face so much uncertainty? It's left us all with a lot of questions. In fact, uh, we wonder what else can go wrong. I wondered that the other night when I was pulling out of my driveway. It was about 8.30 at night. I was heading over to the Middletown campus. I am organizing a lot of things and have been for several months. Several areas of my life, I have been reorganizing paperwork, office, books, so on and so forth. I was on my way out. I backed out of my driveway and started down the street. I reached down to grab a ginger ale, as you know, I love. And I took that out, and I took a little drink of it, and I thought, wow, I just put that in the refrigerator yesterday. I had opened it, and yet it is still so tart and delicious. I was thinking this in my mind, literally split second. Suddenly, I had not paid attention. I was not on my phone, I promise. And I was drinking, but it was only ginger ale. But somehow, I slammed into my, the mailbox of one of my neighbors. Not the neighbor you know, and not the one that hates us, all right? And so I, I slammed in her, this guy's mailbox, and my mind immediately started to kind of spin. I was like, oh, I hit that really hard. But maybe maybe he won't notice, or maybe maybe it's no big deal. I don't know. And But... When my mirror was dangling off the side of my previously Josh-owned 2005 Chevy Colorado with 185,000 miles on it, I started to realize this might be worse than I thought. And when I looked in the mirror, not the side mirror, but the other, I noticed that the mailbox was in the middle of the road. I, I really wanted to run. I really did. But he's my neighbor, and it wouldn't be right to run. And this was just a fleeting tune. I'm, I'm human, guys. It's all right, all right? So I started thinking, okay, i got to take care of this. And so I get out. I pick up the mailbox. I lay it gingerly next to the post where it used to live. And I thought to myself, how, how am I going to, like, what will I say? It's, it's night. I'm not going to knock on his door. And so I wrote a note. But how do you start a note to a neighbor that you don't even know their name? You've never even met them before. Uh, Heidi Ho, good neighbor? I don't know what to say. So I just, I literally just went, hi. Um, I accidentally obliterated, you know, your mailbox. My bad. It was pretty much like, I'm sorry, I ran in your mailbox. I wasn't doing anything nefarious, I swear, but I will have it fixed. Here's my number. And so I went to bed that night thinking, okay, what else can go wrong? And the next morning I called my handyman, Joe, and by noon the next day the mailbox was replaced because I certainly wasn't going to go out there and replace it. I didn't want to. I was so embarrassed. You know, I was like, he can fix it. I'll just pay him to do it. And so then I'm out there. It's noon. He's fixing the mailbox. My neighbor had come out. They're now talking to one another. I walk up. Hi. He said, you must be Stephen. I said, I am. He said, I'm Chad. He said, I'm sorry to meet you under these circumstances. I said, you have no idea. He said, he said hey, thanks for fixing it. He, I said, uh, it's no problem. He said, I'm surprised it's fixed by now. He, I said, yeah. I said, listen, I, I hired Joe to fix all my mistakes. And then Chad took the occasion to bust on me. I'm like, he said, uh, he said, well, Joe must be very busy then. Ha 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 ha. And Joe and him are now connecting. They're like, they're having a little relation. They're bonding. And I'm like, this is this is not very nice, but okay, great. Chad, there's your mailbox. Thanks. It's good. And in my mind, I started to think, thanks a lot, 2020. 
I just reach down to get a delicious drink of ginger ale and a slam into a mailbox. What else can go wrong? And I'll tell you one of the things I was reflecting on with Josh uh, later is that one of the reasons maybe that I am doing so much organization in my life, offices and things like this, garage, because it's like in 2020, it's like one of the few things that I can actually control. It's one of the few things that I actually feel like I have the ability to kind of control. There's a lot of uncertainty today. First Timothy chapter 6 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says wealth is uncertain. And maybe we're not generous because we're uncertain. Maybe during this time especially, we're all holding back because we feel less than confident. We feel insecure. We tell ourselves we better hold tight because we don't, we don't know what the future holds, especially now. Corey Ten Boom one time said, hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. The antidote to independent or to, to uncertainty is to trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. Trust. Trust that God can take what we, what was, what we see as good or, or not good and he can turn it around. He can use a broken mailbox in an embarrassing moment to introduce me to my neighbor for the first time. My, my real example for giving and trusting God was my dad. Many of you know he passed away from cancer a few years ago, but he spoke here in Axis November 2015, and he spoke on this subject of generosity. And I thought it might be good for my dad just to read scripture to you for just a few moments. Listen to what he said to us as a church. Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The he here is the almighty God. He is the supplier. But I want us to notice once again how many wills are mentioned there. When we take note of that, he says he will supply, he will increase, he will increase your harvest. And then furthermore, and this is the one that really gets me in a uh, very positive way, he says, I will make you rich in every way. Now the purpose for him doing this is not for us to become selfish or to become a hoarder and to keep it all for ourselves. It is so that your gains will increase so that you can become a generous person and to help others. So that you will give thanks to God and you will become a blessing to God, not only to yourself and to someone else, but you will become a blessing to God. There's another scripture that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things... At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now that is a powerful verse of scripture. God is able. And Paul then said in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches that are in Jesus Christ. And then we say, well, how many riches does Jesus really have? Well, he owns it all. He maintains it all. 
Giving to God is a God-backed, guaranteed investment. Now, in the book of 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, Paul said, Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of that which is true life. Now, here is a basic biblical principle. It is vital to understand a key money management principle. It is this. God owns everything. I reflected on that uh, while I was editing the video and walking through his message on giving, that here dad lived his life as a man who was generous, who gave, who helped organizations to give, who raised money for uh, elderly that could not afford to stay at Mason Christian Village. He uh, had been involved in the church for many, many years. And here's a man who understood that God owns it all, and, and, and now he is experiencing the very treasure that he sent ahead. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Paul said to Timothy, put your hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. It's the trap of uncertainty, and the antidote is to trust God. And then there's the trap of selfishness. I've already talked about the trap of more, and really, I think if we go deeper from the trap of more, we see at the heart of that is really the trap of selfishness, where, where we look deeper into our soul about this, and, and as much as we fight it, we find that we are the center of our universe. And I think the antidote to selfishness is decide to be generous. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 says, command those to be, to be good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Do good, be generous, be willing to share. That's the antidote to selfishness, give. I found that a lot in my life. Terry and Nina Howlett tell about going on a mission trip to Rwanda, and they expected to do a training for 150 pastors, 100 uh, wives, and then a, an untold number of children. And on one of the days of the training, because so many more people had come than they ever expected, Nina called Terry over and said, I've got crayons and coloring pages for the children, but, but we're going to run out. There's too many children. And Terry said, typically when you start handling out free things, a swarm of hands reach for them, and, and then they're gone. And he said, at that moment, the Lord dropped an idea on me. He said, I gestured to each child to take one and pass it to another person. They were reluctant to give theirs away. However, in the span of just seconds, they got really, really excited, and they kept giving it away, giving it away, others receiving them. And it was so exciting. A child would get a crayon, would give it away. A child would get a crayon and give it away. And he said, once I handed out all the crayons and the paper, every child had their own. God had multiplied the giving, and it was so exciting. And then he asked, why don't we see the same excitement more often in our giving? When we hold, it seems like we take, and we only keep so much. But when we give, there's an excitement in that, an enthusiasm in that. And God literally pressed down, shaking together, pouring over. He blesses, and he returns. Such a great question. 
Why don't we see more excitement when we give? The trap of selfishness. And I think then the last one is the trap of now. Verse 19 says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is really life. The antidote to denial is to think about eternity. The antidote to now is to think about something else. And you know what? I was reflecting on this as I was writing this. I think the number one point out of every message that I ever give, it seems like this point comes up in more messages than any other single point, and that is thank eternity. It seems like in the Bible so often God says, you were not made for this world, you were made for another world. Think about eternity. Think about eternity when it comes to evangelism. Don't think about just what you get here. Think about the next generation. Think about reaching people for Christ. So many times in messages, it seems like this is the, the point that comes up more and more and more often. Because God wants us to turn our attention beyond today or tomorrow and look to something else. Look to the coming age. Realize that this world is not our permanent home. Let's just imagine for just a minute that you have decided to invest and you're going to build your dream home. It's everything that you have wanted. You've gone to Homorama. You have dreamed it out. You have planned it out. You have looked through home plans. You have picked out the perfect lot. And imagine that you have decided that this is going to be a life investment and you are so excited about it. But right now, you're living in an apartment. You, you are just temporarily staying there. It's less than ideal. The neighbors are loud. The carpet has an odor. Now, wouldn't it be silly to do a complete renovation of an apartment if you're only there six months and you know your dream house is just right around the corner? If, it were, if you were just a temporary resident, wouldn't it be crazy to sink a lot of money into that apartment? Sure, you'd do some little things. You'd maybe paint the walls, maybe put up some photos. You'd, you'd want it to feel like home, and that would be fine, but you would never pour everything into your temporary home. Now, you'd look forward to that dream home. My, my guess is that as you live in that apartment, I bet that you would not concern yourself so much with all the things that surround apartment life. You probably wouldn't scream at the upstairs neighbors for making too much noise. You'd probably be a little bit more patient, knowing this is just temporary. It's not, it's not going to last forever. You probably wouldn't get involved in the apartment Facebook page and weigh in on the neighborhood gossip. It wouldn't seem very important. It'd be kind of trivial. Not very important. And, and you might cast your vote for the apartment president, but you probably wouldn't tell everyone who, who voted differently than you that they're crazy and a bunch of lunatics. You might, but you probably wouldn't. Why? Because it's not your home. I thought about that this week. So much of what we're involved in today in our lives is temporary. So much of what we focus on and battle through, and it's just temporary. There's a, there's a big uh, election this week. You guys know that? And uh, it's happening. Um, I'm, I'll be ready for political ads to stop. Amen? And uh, listen, I, um, go vote, okay? Vote your conscience. Vote what you want. Uh, I grew up in a day where you could actually talk about two different candidates, and it was okay. I could sit across the table and somebody say, do you like that person? I go, oh, okay, that's fine. I like this person. Oh, that's fine. It was all okay. It's not okay anymore. People are so focused on these things, have drawn lines. So go vote. Research. Vote your conscience. Do what you think is right, whatever that is. And, uh, and then I would encourage you, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Because Why? 
Because in the end of the day, this is a temporary home. In the end of the day, we have a different king. In the end of the day, America's still going to be here. We're all still going to be all right. And, uh, and you just, we'll just continue to, to move forward in the good or the bad. Whatever, whatever thing, way you think it's bad, God, God always is good at working out good, bad, and making it good, whatever that is. God's going to do something good in our, in our generation. And I want to end today, this week of election, a little bit different. The video I'm going to show you is about five minutes. We've showed a version of this before, but it moved me as I watched it because it reminded me this week that this world is not my home. And that we have a different leader of the legislators. We have a different king of kings, a different prince of peace. No matter what happens in January 2021, and no matter who occupies the White House, well, we're going to still follow the great king of kings. Watch this. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and the fundament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his solar supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well... He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially mental. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives he discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring 
the doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the popular. He's a head of the heroes. He's a leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he... He's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't him, teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's right. just like you did at my kitchen table yesterday, watching the video and reminding myself what is most important at these times. Friends, let's remember who our king is. Let's remember who our God is. Let's never take for granted that we have the ability to worship him and honor him in freedom. We have the ability to honor who he is, and that is what is most important this week. 
Let's stand together and let's just give honor to whom honor is due. God, we thank you today for being our King, our Lord, our God, our Savior. God, we thank you. We thank you for moments like this in history. And I pray that, God, in these moments that the church will rise. And the church will be the example of love and forgiveness and grace. The church will be the example of reconciliation. The church will be the example of what it means to build bridges. God, what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves and love our enemies. God, that we would be the church of Jesus Christ. That when other people are condemning and looking for ways to cancel, that we will look for ways to build one another up in love. To encourage one another as long as it's called today. And to always seek ways to tell people about our faith in Christ. To model what it means to be people of integrity. People who, are, who, are, who live generously and sacrificially. Who, who give, who love, who serve and do it unashamedly, God. Because we believe that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And so God, for that, we thank you. We worship you now. We honor you through our songs. We give you the, the glory, God, that you deserve in the best way that we know how. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.